Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Palace Cinemas podcast. When this episode airs, it will be one week until we reopen our doors nationally. And I have to say, in our first month of opening, the quality of cinema coming through the doors is absolutely outstanding. Cinema is well and truly back with the releases of A White White Day, The Personal History of David Copperfield, Waves, Baby Teeth, Mulan, and of course, Christopher Nolan's Tenant, which will be playing in 70 mil at the Astor Theatre in Melbourne and Palace James Street in Brisbane. In case you don't know, I'm Alex Moyer, National Marketing Manager for Palace Cinemas, and joining me for this episode is co-host Dr. Zach Hepburn of the Astor Theatre, as well as a very special guest, Australian entertainment journalist, Catherine Toolich. Catherine has interviewed the very biggest of the Hollywood bigwigs, stars such as Brad Pitt, Jamie Foxx, Tilda Swinton and Margot Robbie, just to name a handful, and also directors such as Spike Lee, Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino. Her work can be seen across well-known publications like the LA Times, Variety, RogerEbert.com, The Hollywood Reporter and ABC Australia. And she is also a voting member of the Hollywood Foreign Press, aka the Golden Globes. In this episode, Catherine recounts what cinema means to her, what it means to the stars she interviews, and recounts a bit of Hollywood life in general. Catherine, you've worked across a few mediums in the sense of covering cinema, television, music, but what does cinema specifically mean to you? Well, I think with cinema, I've had such a love of it since I was a kid. My mum was obsessed with old movies, so I grew up watching a lot of old movies, became completely absorbed with Hollywood history. I think probably one of the reasons I was always so motivated to eventually move to the to America. Uh, but, you know, I just always was out at movies. I just I remember all the theatres in Sydney. I was there at all of them, you know, and I remember the Village Cinema opening, uh, then the Hoyt Cinema, the multiplexes opening, and I, I used to see almost every film that was released every week. I was that obsessed with movies. And when I began studying at UTS, my um, communications degree, what better job to get than an actual working at a movie theatre? And first I was a chop-chop maker at the Village Cinema and then I got promoted to Usher at Hoyts and I was so <laughs> excited about that. And this is a day when, you know, they actually had ushers on every cinema and you'd show people to their seats. So it was just like the best job ever because you'd show people to their seats and then you'd watch the movie. So mm. I got to see everything. It was really great. Uh, so from there, you know, I, I began working as a journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald and I did start doing film reviews for them, but my career more shifted into music because I loved music so much. So I really became more a music journalist, but that love of cinema was always there. And, uh, you know, occasionally I'd step into doing movie stuff as well, um, but really mostly known as a music journalist. And then I moved to LA and by virtue of being sort of in Hollywood, I got asked to do a lot of stories for then Sunday Magazine on, you know, went up to George Lucas's uh, place to do an interview with him. I got sort of started getting really absorbed into the movie world, which was probably, you know, one of my first loves really. And then um, I started reporting more on movies and then I guess joined the Hollywood Foreign Press about 10 years ago and that puts you front and centre in, in Hollywood really. Uh, now you're voting on them, which is a whole other dimension about be, being involved in, in movies and cinema. A lot of my interviews go to rogerebert.com. Yep. In, yeah, because I was um, a fill-in critic for Roger Ebert. Many, oh, wow. I forgot to mention that part. That's a, <laughs> That was a good part of my history I forgot to mention. Um, yeah, I was the only Australian uh, film critic on uh, on the, at the movies and I 
did a show with uh, Richard Roper. So I filled in when Roger Ebert was very sick and then I got to know Chaz very well and so I still have a very close friendship with Chaz Ebert and so I often contribute to their website, rogerebert.com. What do you prefer? Did you prefer reviewing or do you prefer um, engaging with the artists talking about making it? Oh, look, reviewing is fun, but um, I think it's very hard to be both. I think you sort of, you know, I don't think you can be a reviewer and then go and do like a, an interview. I think you've sort of got to separate it. So I probably do prefer the interview part because I really enjoy interviewing uh, people, you know, artists, actors, directors. So I think that's the part I really enjoy more, even though it is fun to review, as you know, Zach. <laughs> And so, look, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's uh, it, it's very difficult to juggle both to both hats. But um, uh, yeah, I think uh, as as I say, I'm, I, what I, what I really admire about your interviews is just got, you've got a very personal quality. And I think you always uh, bring out uh, a, a really fantastic, genuine uh, response from the guests. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're stuck with the interviewing. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. How do you do it though? When you've got like, you've, I mean, I, I watched one of your interviews recently where you've got. Tarantino, Margot Robbie, DiCaprio, and then Brad. Oh, my, that one, that was a tough one. You know, I went in there and I was really bossy with them. I actually went in there and I said, look, I've got five minutes with you all. Because I, I knew everyone that had been in that room got uh, absolutely caught out. Uh, they'd all come out kind of stone-faced going, Quentin spoke for the whole five minutes and nobody else spoke <laughs> because that's exactly so. You know when they put these actors together, yep. that's often the reason because, and they do it more and more at these film junkets now because you get ones that just don't want to talk. Yep. So they put them with someone else and then they're, they're going to like, you know, do all the talking. I think that happened with Knives Out. They had Jamie Lee Curtis with um, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig sat there the whole time looking sour-faced and Jamie Lee's like this rabbit chatting, you know. So uh, they knew that Daniel knew he wouldn't have to do anything, just sit there. So uh, sort of similar thing happened once upon a time. Those Leo likes to chat, but Brad and, and Margot was a little bit shy. So Brad was most of the interviews just sitting it out. And um, Margot sort of hardly got a word in. So I was hearing this as everyone was coming out and I'm thinking, oh, crap, you know, you've got to get all of them to talk because you've got to get something from each of them. So I literally went in there and I was really bossy. I, I mean, I, I'm not usually like this, but I just thought, I just went in there and said, I said, Quentin, I know you like to talk, but do you mind just shutting up this time? I said, <laughs> because I really need everyone to talk. And they were like, and then Brad's like this. Seriously, Brad was like, <laughs> Brad, and Brad said, does that mean I've got to say something? <laughs> I said, yeah, you better. And he sort of shut himself up and like, okay then. <laughs> so I was just like the bossy man. I was just a bossy girl when I walked in there and then they all sort of fell in line. And then I just made sure I uh, directed a question specifically to each person and mm. that's how I sort of got all of them to talk. And Quentin basically shut up because I told him to shut up. What, what do you feel, Catherine, the, 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 the film-going world is going to be like kind of in this post-COVID era? You know, we're all going to be going back to the movies soon. Uh, how do you feel that's going to change the landscape and, and uh, just not from obviously a, a practical landscape but also just a kind of philosophical landscape? I don't know. I think it's going to go two ways. I think people are going to be really excited about going into the movies again. So I think everyone's a little bit sick of being stuck at home. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, I really think people just can't wait. I mean, I don't know what the restrictions are going to be in cinemas, what, what the capacity will be. If you have to wear, I heard in America you've got to wear masks. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's going to be a 
exciting experience. But I really think people are missing that communal experience of a movie. And there is still, you know, I get to do both. Obviously, you know, as an award voter, you either watch screeners or you see it on a big screen. But nothing beats seeing something on a big screen uh, and the communal feeling of an audience. I think... I don't think anything can beat that. And, I mean, so many things have come along that they said cinema's dead, you know, when the VHS was released. Everything's always been like the cinema's gone. And yet it always rebounds because I think nothing compares to the experience. So I just don't think, I don't know, I guess it's going to be slow steps back in, Mm -hmm. but I think ultimately people will really want to be back in a cinema. Just in the the sort of landscape uh, in the United States at the moment, in, in, in the creative industries what's the atmosphere there like with, with, with filmmakers and, and and movie makers are they uh, anxious do you feel about getting their productions out there in this world like uh, have you had any interaction uh with, with any current filmmakers that are you know kind of navigating this this new era of release strategies well yeah i've been speaking to a few filmmakers i mean a lot of them obviously things are on hold i mean i spoke to damien chazelle the director of la la land a, a few weeks ago because he had a, a series going to Netflix but he's getting gearing up to get another movie up and running but he's just like I don't know what's happening I don't know what how we're going to get moving I don't know what the rules are going to be so I think everyone's still in this uh atmosphere of how do we get productions back up again I know the California governor is releasing certain uh rules that will start production again so I think uh, movie makers are still in this we don't know what's happening but I think everyone can't wait to start getting back into production again mm. right have you, have you uh, had any uh isolation viewing finds anything you've uh, <laughs> been uh, viewing like this I, I, I'm so glad I've been able to engage with this and had time to engage with it because I, I, I'm, I'm very similar we, we, we see so much stuff and sometimes there's a bit of a gauntlet run to be able to try and fit it all in but yeah. uh, I've found this period to be really relaxing you just kind of like ease into things at home and and enjoy them as well well I've still had a lot of things to watch you know with interviews and that but you know I have to say I I usually go back to old movies and I'm talking like really old movies I love seeing the old black and whites and you know the Hitchcocks and I, I I find that sort of my comfort food so you know and you really just want to forget about everything I really like to just go back and and look at things that I've just loved from before and you know and, and think of a different era and think of a different time when this was made so I have to say that's really what I go back to probably things that I've seen many many times but I just enjoy watching again I love a bit of cinematic comfort food I love that <laughs> I'm just going slightly off, off tangent here, but in terms of you being a part of the, the, the Hollywood Foreign Press, I mean, yeah, just what's that like? It must be surreal. Uh, well, you know, it's sort of, it, it, it's, well, it's interesting being part of it. I mean, it's amazing that we get to see everything and, and it can be overwhelming because, you know, we do television as well. So it's becoming more and more overwhelming trying to make sure you see everything. But it usually starts with... Um, Film festivals, which, again, we don't know what's going on, you know, Venice and Toronto, that starts, I guess, that award season because there's always, like, this buzz as this film and films that people have been holding on to to release because it's got a better chance of awards. So uh, I don't know how that momentum is going to work this year. But, I mean, it's interesting because I like it when sometimes maybe we vote for something that is not, you know basically predicted or something because some films just get lost and some films you don't don't get appreciated so there is always the films that everyone knows is going to sort of make award season uh 
and and it's interesting because I think sometimes you think you feel pressured maybe you should like that film and you don't like that film but as far as I know you know as even though we're quite a small group I think most you know everyone takes it very seriously they watch everything they really listen to their own taste I mean even even if we're not always appreciated for that I think you know more and more the Globes has been a little bit more on the money with um, the films I think people are appreciating that maybe what we pick is sort of you know a, a good indication of what the rest of award season will be like mm-hmm. so yeah and Plus there's all the other side of it, which I don't know is going to come back, the parties, the this, the that. <laughs> there's all that fabulous part <laughs> where the stars come and talk to us at the parties and we get to meet them and, yeah, so who knows? I don't know if any of that's coming back at the moment. So has there been any kind of conversation amongst the, the, the Globes about what, you know, the, the immediate future or even the, the longer-term future might look like in terms of an awards ceremony? I think that the simple answer to that is we still don't know, you know. We, we always have our awards ceremony in January. We haven't announced a date at this point. Uh, but, you know, we, I think everyone is still hoping that will happen, but we don't know. There's been no definitive decision yet on, on I think it's just a matter of waiting and seeing what happens in the next couple of months before any definitive decisions are made about whether you can have a live show like that because it's a very packed room. You know, mm. you walk into that to Beverly Hilton ballroom and, uh, you know, you're, you're literally elbow to elbow with Brad Pitt or, you know, or Meryl Streep or, you know, I mean, literally as they walk in that moment before the show starts, I mean, it's quite overwhelming. You know, it's just every where you look there is a star and you sort of wonder about those big crowds and being together anymore. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see what's going to happen. Do you still get star starstruck? I mean, I just imagine myself in that situation and losing my mind. <laughs> you know, I always got starstruck with people that I'd always admired. Like um, I think the first time I met Al Pacino, because I was obsessed with Al Pacino. I loved all these films, loved The Godfather. I think the first time I met him I was like, what it's Al Pacino this is a you know and even strange enough someone like Julie Andrews which I remember as a kid you know and then you actually meet this person and you go these are people that I watched and now I'm like meeting them the the more the sort of more current stars no I don't think I get starstruck by them I mean I think it's from those memories of of being in Sydney watching movies and seeing these people up on a big screen that you never thought you would meet and then you meet those people. I think now, because I've sort of been in this industry a bit longer now, I don't get as starstruck by someone that's just made a movie. I, I was in uh, the same room as David Lynch once and completely forgot uh, where I lived, what my name was, uh, and, and anything that I uh, had uh, experienced in my life. It was just a, a moment of uh, sheer, uh, you know, panic but also bliss. But, um, um, yeah, I, 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 every time I, I view you, your interviews, I, you get such a great rapport uh, with your interview subjects. But well, thank you. what I really find interesting is some of them have this incredible love for cinema that it just, you know, you can just see when you're, you're speaking, particularly someone like Quentin Tarantino, for example. Mm. Uh, and other filmmakers who are now working in, uh, shall we say, a more different methodology with, with streaming platforms, someone like Martin Scorsese or, or Spike Lee, when, when you're engaging with an interview with, with these filmmakers, do, do you find that they are referential to their work differently if they've produced something for the cinema screen versus a streaming platform or do you feel that it's just the love of the story and the love of the craft that still comes through? I think they're still at the point where they're kind of making excuses to go streaming, to be honest. I think Martin Scorsese 
felt very much because he was such a champion of the cinema mm. and suddenly now he's he, he the Irishman went to Netflix and everyone's like well hang on a minute you know uh, but I think and I felt like he was trying to be a little bit justifying it a lot uh, when he was doing interviews but I think what's happened is you know these filmmakers and particularly you know people like Scorsese as famous as they are they and with Spike Lee as famous as they are as many awards as they can get are not getting funding for the kind of films they want to make by studios now I mean that is the reality of it you know sure if you got great superhero tentpole movies, uh, you're getting funded. But, you know, Scorsese or a Spike Lee that wants to make a smaller kind of film or a more intricate story, longer story, are not getting the money from the studios. That was the story of The Irishman. Every studio knocked it back. That's the Spike Lee story for his new film, The Five Bloods. He couldn't, even though Black Klansman was nominated for Academy Awards, he could not get a studio interested. So by they sort of go to Netflix in some ways, you know, Netflix is the only one prepared to give them the money. But those filmmakers still expect a a cinema platform, which The Irishman got. Mm. And Spike Lee was expecting to get that. That was part of his deal for this new movie. It was going to, it was going to premiere at Cannes uh, this year, so it would have had a big cinema showing, and then it was meant to have a theatrical platform before it went on Netflix. But, of course, because of the coronavirus, COVID-19, that got blown out the window. So for him, he just had to readjust. It's not exactly what he expected from this film and I know he said that he's still hoping it'll get into a cinema and he's hoping that people will get the experience to watch this movie in a cinema but it was either hold this film back for too long and I mean you can't you you had to get it out there and obviously it's such a timely movie that he needed to get it out there now. Yeah, I, I uh, just just viewed it myself, uh, uh, and it's uh, an incredible piece of work. And uh, for me, it's a, a, a great signifier of, of Spike's uh, career and this, this sort of like almost resurgence he's had in his career recently. And there's just a, a real immediacy to it. Uh, so um, yeah, that, that's really encouraging to hear that uh, you know he still views the work uh, as these sort of prestige works because they certainly are. And I feel that that's a way, no matter what screen you look at it on the 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 storytelling and the passion comes through yes exactly i mean as a as a former chop topper and you know cinema lover i mean how do you feel about these films potentially bypassing cinemas uh well i hope it doesn't happen i hope that we still get to watch movies in the cinema you know i still am a, a person that wants to watch it in a cinema you know i i i sort of only watch something streaming if I kind of have to. I mean, that sounds bad, but I mean, it's like, you know, if I have to watch it that way, I would much rather go and watch it in a, at a movie theatre. I hope other people feel the same way. Um, so I don't know. I mean, obviously there are certain types of movies now that maybe are too small to get a cinema release. Maybe there is a certain genre now that, you know, it's streaming at least is getting those movies made and getting it out to a broader audience. But I hope sort of those really beautiful cinema works that those that people put in so much work into and would look and look beautiful on a big screen uh, are still experienced in the cinema. It's, uh, it's just uh, probably you know coming coming to the, um, the the end of our chat. But the, I just the the, the uh, for me uh, you speak so eloquently about that. Did did you have a, a moment where you've been in a session or or, or a screening? And you've just gone. This is this is it. Like this is the, 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 the where everything's lined up. You know, uh, what's what's been the most memorable film screen you've been at? I mean, you've probably been to millions, but 
I just, I just, because for, for me recently, we, we had the, um, the pre- Australian premiere of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the Melbourne International Film Festival and yeah. we had a, a sold out audience. And I remember sitting in the audience with all these people going, this is, this is, this is why I do this. And this is, this is, this, everything's just clicked with this session. It's just a beautiful synergy of, of everything that we do. Have, have, you, have, you, have you had that or do you have a moment you can remember thinking, wow, this is why I do what I do? Oh, many, many, many moments. But it's funny when you talked about that, the first one that came to my mind is I have to, strangely enough, um, I remember the first time I saw Avatar because it was such heralded as, you know, this such futuristic sort of what James Cameron was going to come up with. And I was at the premiere of it and um, I think the Chinese theatre got, got to see it there and I just remember I was completely blown away by this movie because, you know, was it going to be great? Was it not going to? And I just walked out going, we're all going, oh, my God, that was so incredible uh, to watch that. And uh, that, I mean, I've had many experiences like that, but that was just when you asked me this question, that memory just came straight back into my head of walking out of that Chinese theatre going, what a film, what a, what an achievement. And I sort of be so, and I was so emotionally involved with it as well. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, uh, we uh, get to do that for Avatar too. Yeah, let's yeah. hope. Let's hope James comes up with the goods again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he usually pulls it off, doesn't he? Does. he? Never, last minute, just never, when you think it's going to be a failure. Woof. <laughs> never, never underestimate Jimmy Cameron. Exactly. So. Exactly right. <laughs> I mean, in just your your conversations that you, your most recent interview was with um, the, you know uh, one of our favourites, Spike Lee. Mm. Um, what was that like? You know, what's he like as a person? You've interviewed him for Black Klansman as well. Yeah, tell us about that experience. Well, you know, you're always, it's interesting with Spike because you're always talking about pretty serious topics with his movies, but he's always got a smile on his face. He makes a joke. Uh, I've always noticed too that he'll make some comment about you and like, oh, hi, you know, like he'll sort of try and bring you into the conversation by by uh, making a, a, a comment about something. Our first just, you don't want to spend too much on that because obviously you have a limited time with these people, but we were talking about Sydney because he'd been to Sydney and then I said, oh, well, you know, Sydney's done, Australia's done very well with the COVID. And he went, not as good as New Zealand. And we were just having kind of a laugh. <laughs> I know you guys are competitive. <laughs> so we just kind of had a joke about that. You always, that's what I like about speak, Spike. You can always have a real joke and a big smile on his face and he'll joke about something before he gets into, you know, his serious serious topics, which are always his movies. But I think Spike Rudd at the moment has a, a joy about him. I think, you know, he's been at the, um, I think he feels this film is just coming out at an amazing time and he's been involved, he's been at the protest and uh, he'd been in one in Brooklyn and he said he's felt so much love around him and he was just about to go cycling off to another protest um, after our interview. So I think he's just filled with this incredible, you know, moment of history at, at this point. So it's quite special to be able to talk to him right now. I mean, in terms of that, you know, incredibly pivotal moment in history we're currently going through, I think I think that The Five Bloods is, regardless of the platform, couldn't, couldn't come at a better time. But do you think it will have as long a lasting impact as, say, Black's Klansman simply because of theatrical run? Well, it depends. Um, you know... Again, I can't predict the award calendar at this point and what else is coming out, but you could very well see this um, uh, be, being a big awards contender towards mm. the end of the year. So, you know, if this gets nominations, if he gets Best Director, Best Film, uh, yeah, and again, and then I think that will give the studios a chance to put this out in the cinema. 
you know, because that often happens just, you know, if it gets an award mention later on, if we're talking at the end of the year or beginning of next year, we don't even know yet with awards, then that might give it a chance to have a cinema run. And, you know, it could very well be an award contender, this one. That wraps it up for episode five. Join us next time as we examine all things Nolan. That's right. We're diving into the deep end of Christopher Nolan's body of work and what Tennant means in the landscape of his career. 